Hello, welcome back to Bridgerton Fancast. We are a podcast created by two fangirls to discuss the hit Netflix show Bridgerton and its spinoff, Queen Charlotte. I'm Michelle. I live in the States. You can find me at Musings on Instagram, Twitter, and Threads. Ooh. I'm mm. Rita. I live in England. I'm at Annoying Rita on Instagram and Twitter. I haven't yet made a Threads account, but I will. <laughs> Okay. Don't we, do we, I mean, we have an in the books account. Yeah. I ha- on threads, yeah. right? Um, yes. I found out that you can't change from account to account. What? Yeah. You have to log out and then log back in with a, your different account. And I'm just like, ugh. Anyway. Pain in the butt. Anyhow. cares about that. Yes. Sorry. Um, Sorry. Before we begin, <laughs> we just wanted to say a huge thank you and shout out to Beth, Maria, Someone named E, Karen, <laughs> our good friend Carol, and all our anonymous donors who have been very generous. We have been really overwhelmed, so thank you guys. <laughs> and we also wanted to mention that we're, we will be recording a follow-up book club episode on the novelization that accompanies Queen Charlotte. So just listen to the end of the pod for more details. Anyhow. In this week's podcast, we will be discussing the finale episode of the miniseries Queen Charlotte, which was titled Crown Jewels and was written by Shonda Rhimes and directed by Tom Verica. And it was a long ass episode, so we just better hop on into the recap. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, why was it called Crown Jewels? I, I don't know. My, my head immediately went to the naughty place, yeah, of course. It, it, Cause, you English, know, that's what you do. <laughs> English lag would suggest that this is about pools. Okay. That's what you, well, there were, there was a ball. Yeah, not <laughs> the kind I'm talking about. I know. The episode began with Augusta summoning Dr. Evil. <laughs> she has learned of Charlotte's move to Q and wants to know what the hell is going on. Dr. <laughs> Evil tells her he was fired. He cannot help. (laughs) Augusta looks horrified by the prospect of a daughter-in-law with agency. Oh, dear. Over in 1819, and brace yourself for a lot of time jumping this week. Oh, yeah. Violet heads to Lady Danbury's house to meet her friend for a walk. While there, she spots the paper crown her father gifted Agatha 50-plus years ago (laughs) and freaks out. It's in very good condition. (laughs) Yeah. It really is. Agatha has taken very good care of it. How she deduced that they fucked is anyone's guess. (laughs) Over at Buckingham House, Charlotte and her a thousand children are sitting for a portrait. Conspicuously absent is George, who is probably running around Q in his nightgown screaming about stars. Yeah. Charlotte is in a foul mood and berates her children yet again for their lack of air. When the artist asks after his majesty, Charlotte snaps and leaves the room. Her children follow after her, leaving exactly no one sitting for that painting. <laughs> <laughs> Brimsley smooths things over with the artist with some light blackmail and by encouraging the use of imagination. Yeah, because you know, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> we then head back into the past. After a warm... A non-drowning bath and a meal. George is looking a good deal better. But despite that, he is angry that Charlotte is at Q and yells at her to leave him. 
He commands it. Charlotte stands her ground and tells him that for months she had thought she was a failure of a wife, but she realized today that he was staying away because he loved her. I am a danger. In my mind, there are different worlds creeping in. I, the heavens and the earth collide. I, I do not know where I am. Do you love me? You do not wish a life with me for yourself. No one wishes George, that. George, I will stand with you between the heavens and the earth. I will tell you where you are. Do you love me? I love you. <sighs> love officially declared. Charlotte promises that together they can do this thing called life. The next morning, they wake up wrapped in each other's arms. George asks her when their son is due. She tells him very soon and whispers, hello, little king, to her bump. Aww. How do they know it's a boy, though? This is such a... Because, you know, men. <laughs> um, now for something less cute. Lady Danbury waits for Lord Ledger at the random shack, as usual, ahead of their daily ramble, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But when he arrives, he has Violet with him. <laughs> it is very much implied that he dragged her there on purpose. And that purpose is very much understood by Lady Danbury, who makes coy reference to his kindness following her husband's death. They both say their goodbyes and call the whole thing off. Over at St. James Palace, Augusta is receiving a grilling from some panicky ministers. Her headline news is that everything is fine. The king <laughs> is fine. The baby is fine. Fine, fine, fine. Lord Butte is like, well, if everything is fine, I can let Parliament know he is available for an address. Augusta looks like she just might shit herself. Uh, in 1819, Charlotte receives a visit from the Prince Regent and her oldest daughter, neither of which are introduced by their given names because, quite confusingly, they are called <coughs> George and Charlotte. Good Lord. I know. Anyway, they're staging an intervention on behalf of all the children They've had enough of Charlotte's cruel heckling about producing an heir. They remind her that Georgie is grieving the loss of his only child, and she has shown him no regard or compassion. Her daughter explains that despite herbs and tonics, she has suffered miscarriage after miscarriage, and her mother has shown not a shred of compassion. I have done all I could for you. If you understood the sacrifices, how hard I have worked to make sure you each. I have been an excellent mother. No, you have been our queen, but you have never really been our mother. Charlotte looks shell-shocked. Mm-hmm. The lack of self-awareness. <laughs> yeah. Fifty-ish years earlier, a very pregnant Charlotte is doing some needlework. This is a good detail because I learned that Charlotte was obsessed with needlework. Her whole family loved sewing. Oh. Even her brother. Isn't that cute? Anyway. Oh, that's adorable. When her husband comes to kiss her goodbye before popping off to do some more farming, Charlotte <laughs> tells him he received a letter. And when he sees that it's from his mother, he rips it without reading it. I mean, you might <laughs> want to read that. That's good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
After yeah. George leaves, <laughs> Reynolds <laughs> tries to explain to Charlotte that His Majesty has good days and bad days. Charlotte dismisses this. All George needs is true love. No. Later that night, Reynolds and Brimsley are in the bath together. Sweet. <laughs> discussing so their favourite topic. George Lit. George? No, no. George, George Lutt. George Lutt it is. Reynolds is pessimistic about George's prospects for mental stability, but Brimsley has been drinking the Charlotte Kool-Aid and insists the monarchs will grow old together, which is great news for them because they can be together. And I'll toast to that. Princess Augusta and Lady Danbury have another delightfully passive-aggressive tea together. Augusta offers to expedite Agatha's son's inheritance for information on Queen Charlotte. Agatha declines to do so on the grounds that she is now besties with Charlotte, much to the annoyance of her maid, Coral, when Agatha arrives home. Coral suggests asking Charlotte for help, but Agatha is weary about approaching her friend at such a difficult time. Coral then brings up the gossip that is spreading around London. The king is ill or injured, and the palace does not sit on firm ground. Even more reason not to bother the queen. Over at Kew, Augusta makes a surprise visit. Charlotte tells her that George is not receiving visitors. Augusta is furious and delivers a sensational monologue about how there is no hiding as king. There is no room for illness or weakness. There is only power. She accuses Charlotte of enabling his reclusiveness. The government is growing restless and suspicious, and George needs to face Parliament. The mother tells Charlotte, This is on you now. Mic drop. Uh, Charlotte takes the lecture seriously and immediately hunts down her husband to tell him they have to return to the public eye and Buckingham House. Back in the future, Charlotte is complaining about her Ungrateful whining children as she undresses for the night. <laughs> okay. Brimsley tells her that she has been devoted to the king above all others. The implication being not even her children got a look in. Charlotte asks him if he has a family, has ever been married. Wow. 60 years into their friendship, quote unquote. She's asking this question. Hmm. <sighs> okay. Uh, Brimsley quite tragically admits he is always at the palace and could not find anyone to spend a lifetime with him playing second fiddle. Oh, the pathos. Back in the past, Charlotte and George return to Buckingham House, and Charlotte has a tea with her BFF, Agatha. Charlotte again offers her condolences, and the two discuss the upcoming birth. The royal physician has told Charlotte, that childbirth shall be quick and painless, much to <laughs> Agatha's amusement. She doesn't have the heart to tell the queen the truth, and instead tells her she will hardly remember it when it's over. And considering she had 15 children, that must be partially true. I mean, damn. Oh, she was horny yeah. as hell. Yeah. I have. <laughs> In the future, Lady Danbury and Violet Bridgerton are on the walk the show set up 30 minutes ago not an exaggeration i checked the timestamps. 
Violet wants to drill down on some of the details about Lady Danbury's post-marriage sex life. Oh, God. Agatha, obviously worried about straying into sensitive ground, instead tries to deflect by mentioning a romance with the Queen's brother. Hmm. What romance with the Queen brothers, you may ask? Mm -hmm. We then head back to the past where a younger Lady Danbury bumps into Duke Adolphus. He asks her if she's out of mourning and proposes that he pays a call on her. <coughs> Agatha looks a little flabbergasted, but agrees. She later explains to Coral her plans to marry the Duke. He has a title and land that cannot be taken away when an experiment is finished. And she can become a duchess. Totally worth learning German for girls. Oh, yeah. Get it. Charlotte then goes into what I can only describe as the most TV labour of all time. She's taken to her chamber. Ministers and archbishops all loiter outside the door when George <laughs> attempts to go inside. They try to stop him, but he defies them and enters to find Charlotte splayed out on the bed. <laughs> Side note, has anyone ever seen a woman give birth in a period drama in a birthing chair? I mean, I kind of feel like everyone being in bed is anachronistic. Mm -hmm. But this is by no means my specialist subject. Someone write it. Anyway, back to the point. <laughs> Charlotte is screaming and losing a lot of blood because the baby is breached. Farmer George takes matters into his own hands and turns the baby himself. Crazy! What Crazy. the actual fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just insane. Well, he is, but you know, that's beside the point. Yeah. Uh, we then cut to George lovingly holding baby George. I know, confusing. He shows him off proudly to his mother and his brother-in-law. Adolphus is smitten and Augusta nervously asks if he's healthy and if there are any signs of mental problems. Oh, yeah, he's like a day and a half old, and you guys are, is he crazy? Anyhow, George side-eyes her and declares him perfect. Adolphus meets with Agatha for a promenade, peak courting behavior, you know, and they are delightfully cute together. But unfortunately, she spots Lord Ledger and Violet and has a <sighs> bit of a moment. She is forced to break off their date and head home early. Boo. I know. We then see her at another tea with Princess Augusta. They are combative as usual, but when Augusta threatens to rescind the estate gifted to her, Agatha bursts into tears. <laughs> she literally just... <laughs> uh, appalled at this display of emotions, Augusta pulls out some pear brandy pours it into their tea, and tells Agatha to pull herself together. When my dear husband died, I had to throw myself on the mercy of his father, the king, a cruel, evil man. My husband loathed him. I loathed him. He was vicious with Georgie. The bruises... I had bruises as well. There were no other options. So, I endured. And over the years, I learned I need not be content to surrender to the uselessness of female pursuits. Instead, I secured my son as king 
I found a way to control my own fate. Augusta admits to finding Agatha to be an admirable adversary and tells her to grab a hold of her own fate. It's time for George to give his speech to Parliament. Charlotte attempts to soothe his obvious nerves, but by the time he's in his carriage on the way to Parliament, he's starting to have a full-blown panic attack. When he arrives, he cannot bear to get out of the carriage and instead huddles on the floor in despair. Afterwards, Reynolds tells Charlotte about the episode and she is confused and asks Reynolds what he did to George. He was fine when he left. Reynolds loses his patience and yells at her that he was not fine. Well, someone needed to snap Charlotte out of that delusion. Mm-hmm. Charlotte enters their bedchamber and finds George lying under the bed, hiding from the heavens. Charlotte climbs under with him and tells him he will do better next time. George tells her there will be no better. This is who he is. He offers to let her leave, but she refuses. Even if it's only half a life with her husband, she wants to make that half the very best it can be. And while they are under the bed, looking at all the dust, Charlotte has a spark of an idea. It's time they opened up the doors of Buckingham House. Isn't it funny how everyone (laughs) solves problems in Bridgerton by hosting a ball? Yep. It can't possibly be the solution to every problem. (sighs) Anyway, next, Adolphus pays a call on Agatha and tells her that now his nephew's been born, his business in London is complete, and he shall now return to Germany. He asks her to return with him as his wife. He acknowledges that they have only been courting a short time and offers her an opportunity to think on the matter. (laughs) Wow, I wonder what she chooses. Mm -hmm. Over at St. James, Augusta is ambushed by ministers again who tell her about the ball. She tries to pretend she knew all about it but they are onto her and fear she is losing all control of the situation. The situation being her son, of course. They worry that if George looks in any way compromised at this ball, the crown will be in danger. The stakes couldn't be higher. Well, it's time for a ball. Again, it's <laughs> outdoor. It's outdoors. Uh, this fantasy version of England had much better weather than the real one. Guests stream in, and in attendance are Lord and Lady Ledger. Unexpectedly, they have brought Violet, who is not even out in society and hasn't been introduced to court. Weird! (laughs) This is a choice. Yeah. Trumpets blare, or flare, or whatever trumpets trumpet. Um, The king and queen are announced, and despite George having another bout of nerves, he manages to smile and wave as they enter and head to the dance floor, because that's what you do. You smile and wave. Thank you, penguins. He finds focusing on his wife helps, and they begin dancing to a classical version of Saw's Nobody Gets Me. And again, it's a song I've never heard of, because old. That's uh, why you pronounce SZA wrong. Yeah. SZA, yeah, okay. Sorry, SZA <laughs> fans. Please don't come at me. <laughs> it's okay. I am naive. Um, How lovely is the song? And it is. Um, They then announce they have chosen the name of their son, George IV, which is not how naming conventions work, but sigh. 
Whatever. I've given up. Huzzah! (laughs) (laughs) Everyone drinks a toast to the prince, and Augusta looks thrilled that everything is working out. I say I'm fine with the name thing, but it has bothered me for days. (laughs) Oh my. Are are we going to get into it in your historical No, I think just, it, oh. just, just everyone just knows that's general. not how that, he would, he, he would have been made Prince of Wales and that's all. Okay. Yeah. Agatha takes a breather from the ball and finds herself alone with Adolphus. He is very happy for his sister and hopes to have the same for himself. Oh boy, he's going in for the kill tonight. <laughs> His province is the greatest place in the world. The best of this and that, blah, blah, blah. It's more egalitarian, although the other ladies at court are older. And once she learns a language, and since she's young, she can have more kids. An heir, a spare, and a spare, and a spare. You know, 15 uh, yeah. of them. Yeah. As Dude. you do. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the way to convince her. Trust and believe. Uh-huh. So she stops him with a clear no. You are a wonderful man. And something in me had been awakened, so I felt hopeful. I believe if I said yes, this could be different, better. Likely it would be. He would have saved me from a thousand different problems he would have rescued me he would have listened to me and cared for me yet it does not change what i know to be true i cannot marry you i cannot marry anyone i never want to be married again she needs to learn to breathe on her own after a lifetime of being raised for another and she hopes he will forgive her okay augusta and charlotte have a moment where the princess thanks her queen with a curtsy, no less, Ooh, mm-hmm. for making her son so happy. The only thing she's ever really wanted for him, other than world domination. Okay, yeah. then, ixnay on the orchard day. <laughs> I'm not good at pig Latin. <laughs> From now on. Charlotte seems to be a bit shell-shocked by Augusta's parting words, but soon George gathers his queen for a dance to I Will Always Love You. It's lovely, of course, and yet the couple we long to see. Reynolds and Brimsley! (coughs) Also dancing in a darkened corner of the garden, because homophobia. It is so sweet and filled with longing and height difference awkwardness. It's so cute. (laughs) Only to have Shondaland gull us like a fish as the scene fades with an older Brimsley dancing quite tragically alone in the dark many years later. Mm-hmm. No fair, foul. Nope. It is not yep. to be born. Not to be born. <laughs> he is rudely interrupted <laughs> by a footman announcing visitors for the queen. He takes one last sorrowful glance into the night before he leaves. <laughs> right on my face. Oh. The queen is in the palace looking up at the new family portrait as her son Edward and his wife Victoria approach. They're both nervous, for they come bearing news. You know, bearing <laughs> news. I see what you did Wink, there. wink, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, wink. Uh, the queen is quick on the pickup and asks if they are sure. Victoria says she waited long enough to make certain, and Charlotte is elated, embracing her son for what might be the first time in his life, given his reaction. <laughs> <laughs> A girl is wonderful. And a strong queen is just what this country needs. 
Thank you. Where are all these people getting sexes from? Like, this is such a, this is a regency yeah. period. You would not yeah. know. Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. Back to the past. Agatha leaves the palace and walks towards her carriage, only to be stopped by the queen. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> Word of Agatha's rejection of her brother has spread quickly. And despite initial thoughts, it's clear the queen's attentions lay more with what to do with her friend, who did not come to her with her concerns about her late husband's title, her inheritance, and the future of the great experiment. When Agatha tells her she did not want to burden the queen, given her own concerns over the king, Charlotte assures her that they, she and George, are one crown, and they carry the weight of one another. They are there to protect all their worthy subjects and instructs Agatha to come to them with their concerns, for to do otherwise would be to suggest they are incapable of addressing them. Uh, no ma'am. No ma'am, we don't want that to happen. Mm-mm. So, with a promise to send for Lady Danbury soon, Agatha leaves the ball. George offers a glass of champagne to his wife. For sure, she will drink with him, but she refuses him as well. For a while. The stakes are too high, and they must secure the line. She places his hand on her waist, confirming she is with child again. Again! Again! Hashtag ouch. Uh-huh. Hashtag too freaking soon. Yeah. Hashtag why would she know not to drink? I mean, I know. Didn't she... <laughs> I know. They didn't. I mean, drink. didn't she just just she just had a baby like ten minutes ago in screen time? Uh-huh. It's just like, uh, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, she just yeah, and it's like the and the prospect of them having whoopee that soon? No, 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 no. <laughs> ah, we we'll, we can get into that later. Future once again, and Lady Danbury is over for a visit with Lady Bridgerton and sees a room decorated with all the birthday hats that Violet has ever accumulated over the years. One yeah. that she made for Edmund and the children, and those made for her father by her father for her. They are cheerful. Okay. She uh-huh. intends to pack them up and let them go, for they're filled with memories once she does not want to let go of. Uh-huh. Agatha gets the message the passive aggressive <laughs> bitchy <laughs> message yes very clearly <laughs> and encourages violet to keep the hats where they are while the tension between the two women eases it does not completely dissipate <laughs> um what is that going to mean for a future series but Never mind. Everyone gets a hat. She's just, everyone's going to be wearing hats all day Uh long because she's keeping them out. (laughs) Meanwhile, the queen is arriving at Kew to give the king the news about the new heir. And this is the future queen, just in case you got confused, because you do with this show. George is clearly having another one of his episodes. He's drawing on the wall, muttering something about the sky. When she is unable to get his attention by calling his name, She moves to the side of the bed and crawls underneath, calling for just George, Farmer George, to come hide from the heavens with her. He does so at once, stating that it is quiet under there, a haven from all of the noise that must surround him every day. 
She gives him the news of Edward's coming child and that their line will continue. As she takes his hand, the younger version of George thanks her before she shares a kiss with the older. Fancy meeting you here. You did not go over the wall. No, George. I did not go over the wall. The end. Yay! Yay! I hope they dusted in the intervening 60 years, because it could be grimy under there. Oh, yeah. It, it, that would be pretty nasty. I would hate to see what tumbleweeds and dust bunnies <laughs> she winds up coming out with in the magnificent wig that she's wearing when How she crawls she underneath the bed. Stuck in there I know, well. right? <laughs> anyway, first impressions of this week's episode. What did you think? Um. Too dang long. Um, Way too long. Um, And I thought it was okay. I was, I was not blown away by it. Um, I think there was, there were several moments of disappointment. Like there were some really good scenes, Mm -hmm. incredible scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll get to those in a minute, but I didn't feel like, it really all hung together in yes, in like a way that made sense to me. It seemed yes. more like little vignettes rather than like a three act structure of any sort of narrative. Like we got mm-hmm. a birth and then she got pregnant like five minutes later, and mm-hmm. she's like, "What? What is yeah. this? That's not how you tell a story." And usually, you're like building towards something. Mm-hmm. The episode kind of ended, and you were just like, "Wait." Okay, that's the end. It was it was a disappointment. Um you know, aside from the the scenes that I know we're going to talk about um as we get further in, um but uh, all in all, huh? <laughs> the a <laughs> great takeaway. People have been tuning in to find out how we feel. <laughs> <Mah>. <laughs> I know. <Mah>. Shrug emoji. <laughs> That is that is exactly what came into my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's the, something that I, I've been complaining about all season, which is like, yeah, the scenes are good, but it's just structured so poorly. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just feels like a random series of events. Yeah. I, I, am, I am very interested to see what they've done with the novelization. Yeah. I'm wondering if mm-hmm. that works slightly better, question yeah. mark, because I feel like um, having an insight into what people are thinking would be helpful. Mm-hmm. But then I'm, I don't know. Like, I bet you the novelization really focuses in on the romance rather than, like, the side characters. Yeah. And I think one of the great strengths of this season has been the side characters, your Brimsleys, your... Augustus, your mm-hmm. Lady Danbury. Felt like we sort of answered this, but how did you feel about it as a conclusion to the entire series? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hate to beat a word to death, but um 
Is meh a word? We'll have to look that up. I feel like it should be. It probably yeah. it should be. Anyway, um, you know, I guess, I guess it wrapped up a few things, but you know, it, it really didn't, it didn't fill me with like joy or, or that contentment that I felt, you know, at the end of season two Bridgerton or season one Bridgerton. Um, you know, it, I, I will say that I thought the way that they ended it doing the younger to older, um, character kind of swaps in, in the, the final scene. Um, I like that. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, younger George is looking at older Charlotte and then younger Charlotte is looking at older George. Yeah, I thought that was really lovely. That was beautiful. I think that that one scene was very powerful, but then the rest of the episode didn't <laughs> really feel like a conclusion to anything. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Um, there, there are still questions hanging in the air. You know, okay, sure, Queen Charlotte is going to do something about the, the whole inter- inheritance uh, thing, but you know, there are still questions about, you know, whether George is ever going to be able to go to Parliament um, and uh, speak and present himself in a way that will calm the ministers. They're just going to have a bull anytime <laughs> anything happens. <laughs> oh, God. So, you know, so, yeah, America I mean, try. <laughs> they mentioned the colonies this episode, and I was like, okay, but when America leaves. Yeah. And becomes independent. Is he just going to have a bull? Like, yeah, is that I his mean, response? Yeah, I, I don't think so. Here's the thing: when I we started this podcast, and I was like, "Why does this show exist?" Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why this exists. That you got you the answer. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this series is more for people who watch Bridgerton and complain the whole time about the inclusion of the old actresses and like, Oh, they're taking too much screen time. We're not those people. (laughs) No. Maybe they felt they had to justify their presence to some viewers, but I, I, I don't, I never felt that way. And to be honest, I never questioned their presence. I think I still prefer the older versions than the younger versions, you know? I rooted for Mm -hmm. the older versions more Mm -hmm. this episode, which made me question why they need... I was like, why am I watching this show? Yeah. (laughs) I didn't need to know any of this, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, of course, this is not a slight towards the actors who portrayed the younger versions of... Charlotte and Agatha and, um, uh, and, um, oh dear lord, her name just flew out of my head. Violet? Um, Violet, thank you. She was barely um, on this show, really. Like, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I think that they did an extraordinary job, um, in presenting themselves as the younger versions of these, uh, characters who, have been kind of seared into our uh consciousness uh from the first two uh series. Uh but uh yeah, uh you and I are definitely in the um give us more Lady Danbury 
camp. Always more Lady Danbury, please. I would have a Lady yeah. Danbury spin-off where she just tours Europe, please. I wish mm-hmm. the shit out of that. Also, I was thinking mm-hmm. that, um, last week we were both like, oh, George is going to die, and then he didn't die, and I was like, yes. okay, why did we get all those scenes of her asking if he was dead? Uh-huh. Where was that leading? Exactly. Who knows? I just, I feel like so much of the show is like, why did this happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, not that I, I, I wouldn't want to watch George die, but I feel like also if they had been building up to a moment where George and Charlotte had to say goodbye to each other one final time, that would have been really fucking mm-hmm. devastating. And maybe mm-hmm. I've made the whole exploration of their love story make more sense to me than just like, yeah. hey, George, it's, you're going to have a, just another night have a, under the bed. <laughs> you're going to have an heir. The, the conclusion was that, oh, he has an heir. Okay. Yeah. Woohoo. We're just complaining. <laughs> uh, do you feel they integrated the two timelines well? I mean, I know that we have, we have kind of mockingly referred to going back and forth and back and yeah. forth. Um, you know, during our recaps, but you know, on the whole, um, do you think they integrated the two timelines, uh, well? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> to put it bluntly, I mean, I'm, <laughs> so thankful they stopped using that blue filter that's like small mercies (laughs) Uh, but i don't feel like they really took advantage of the older actresses enough during the course of the whole season yeah and then by the time we were doing all these flashes back and forth in this episode it was like what calm down um i don't think those flash forwards were really integrated very well it really felt like an afterthought of like oh shit quick Bring in Edward and Victoria. <laughs> Announce that you're having your baby. <laughs> Which is a real shame because I think the moments between the older actresses on the show mm-hmm. was just outstanding mm-hmm. and some of the better scenes. Yeah. And you want to like really enhance the story, you have to show why it's meaningful in the quote unquote present, technically the past, confusingly. It's it's the past, but then we're also seeing the past past <laughs> the past past <laughs> so like past past squared <laughs> oh god i'm bringing math into the no don't, no don't, stop it stop it um, no, no. <laughs> what about you did you think it worked oh, no um you know i think that it's been a while since i watched some of the earlier episodes but i honestly think that the last two episodes did so much bouncing back and forth um, between the two um, eras that we're looking at um, that it just, it got to be enough already. We could spend more time with the older characters, you know, as, you know, we're seeing the kind of the, interesting standoff happening between um violet and uh agatha and i thought that they played that that scene very well um leaving that tension in the air i thought that was really well done um that scene was good but i do think that whole storyline is completely underwritten because it's like absolutely how does she know that they had sex this is this is violet bridgerton who is not necessarily she quick. <laughs> she's not necessarily quick on the uptake. 
um, yeah. a lot of the time. And let's know how she feels about discussing the topic of sex. You know, for her to put two and two together that fast. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not it, in character. <laughs> nope. It's not canon. Sorry. <laughs> you lose. <laughs> Also question why this is happening. Like, what? who does it, this, why? Yeah. <laughs> I know this is all I'm adding to the conversation is why is the storyline happening? Yeah. But what? how does this add to the main Bridgerton universe by creating this tension between them? No idea. I don't idea. feel like don't... it's en- enough of a tension to, like, stop them being friends. And it it would be... It would be too bloody awkward, you know, to try and figure out where these vignettes that we've seen in Queen Charlotte, where they fit in the timeline. Because we've already had, like, monkey business with the Bridgerton timeline, you know, with, um, you know, Anthony on his honeymoon and there being two grandkids. You know, is he going on a second honeymoon? Is the only explanation. I I, I don't know. I don't know. I really think that it was a lost opportunity to expand upon the uh, topic that they raised in the second to last. Yeah. Um, the blooming garden episode. episode. Yes, yeah. the blooming garden episode. Uh, it was a missed opportunity. And, it really uh, is like that would have been such a better arc to follow, yep. which is like Violet blooming. Oh god, mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm talking of Violet terms, <laughs> but here we go. Violet. We've now gone off into this other adjacent thing, which doesn't yes. feel like it's remotely as powerful, and just creates awkward tension that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. We don't need it. Yeah. I just feel like a lot of the show is a huge missed opportunity. There was so yeah. much potential here, so yeah. much to mine, and mm-hmm. they've just gone, okay, Lady Danbury's going to fuck Violet's dad. <laughs> to to use a baseball term, a sport that I barely know anything about, I know they're going to come for my passport I at any time. I know. Our listeners are huge baseball fans. Yeah, so but you'll, uh, you'll probably it, be this, okay. it might even resonate for those of you that are cricket fans. I think if, if it's a swing and a miss. There you go. Yeah. I don't think you need to be a sports fan to know Mm-mm. that. <laughs> but yeah, swing and a miss on this one, guys. Um, Let's move on. Rita's unnecessary historical context corner. Da, 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 da. Okay, so the Windsor uniform. This week's episode featured George in the Windsor uniform. During his failed attempt to speak at Parliament, you might have been like, what's that outfit? It consisted of a basic blue coat, red cuffs, red facings on the lapels, and loads of bling. Uh (laughs) So around Europe, monarchs had their courtiers and gentlemen members of the household wear uniforms. For the lols, mostly. This wasn't too popular because the gentlemen and the nobles thought of the garments as livery and they can't be looking like servants. Nope. But still, most courts had a required uniform. This was true of the English court, starting with George III, 
from 1777 onwards, a.k.a. not for like another Mm -hmm. 12 more years. Anyway, (laughs) because the Qing stayed mainly at Windsor, the uniform was called the Windsor Uniform. The king and later the regent wanted all of his cabinet and high-level ministers to wear the uniform, but some resisted considering it too much like livery. However, there were many who considered wearing the Windsor uniform an honour. The colours are the reverse of royal livery and of most military uniforms. Consider the red coats. Mm-hmm. Invert it. There you go. Um, in very <laughs> various forms, continue to be popular until the late Regency. And, you know, you can see pictures of the royals still wearing it today. It's It's honestly a cute look. I liked it on him. It's a thing. Um, the story of Princess Augusta of Saxe-Gotha, a.k.a. the real queen. <laughs> <laughs> so at the age of just 16, Augusta was sent to England to marry 29-year-old Prince Frederick, Prince of Wales, the heir to the British throne and eldest son of King George II. On arrival, it was noted that she was long-limbed, gawky and unable to speak a word of English, and was clutching a doll. Oh, my gosh. She played with dolls even past her wedding. Oh. The wedding was celebrated on the 27th of April, 1736, at the Chapel Royal in St. James's Palace, London. Her mother-in-law, Queen Caroline, had to translate the words of the marriage service for the princess Augusta only spoke German and some French, so a tutor was found to teach her English. Very isolating. Mm. Um, The princess was lonely, and according to her older governess, was brought to England to keep her company. Having been raised in the Lutheran faith, Augusta was unhappy about receiving communion in the Church of England. She was only persuaded to do so when her mother-in-law, again Queen Caroline, threatened to annul her marriage and return her to Germany. Yes. Damn. (laughs) The king and queen ain't shit. Anyway, um, (laughs) Frederick and her parents mutually loathed each other. Queen Caroline equally strongly disliked her son, stating, quote, My dear firstborn is the greatest ass and the greatest liar and the greatest canil, and the greatest beast in the whole world, and I most heartedly wish he was out of it. God damn. Really, tell us tell us how you really feel, you know? I damn. think um, on her deathbed, she said that one of the great joys of dying was that she didn't have to look at her son again. I was like, bitch! Wow! Cold-blooded. When Augustus first pecked, pregnancy was announced queen caroline stated that she would be sure to witness the birth to be assured that the pregnancy was indeed genuine she reportedly wished the succession succession to pass to her second son prince william the birth of their first daughter princess augusta i mean she named her son her daughter after herself anyway wow. on july 31st 1737 took place at st james's after prince augusta was forced by frederick lewis to travel from hampton court palace while in labor what in order to prevent his hated parents from being present at the birth oh my god 
The delivery was really traumatic. St. James's Palace was not ready to receive them because they left in the middle of the night. No bed was bed was prepared, no sheets could be found, and Augusta was forced to give birth on a tablecloth. Good lord. Quite publicly, apparently, everyone saw her just, like, oh. bleeding out on the table. Oh my and god. Queen Caroline once said of her daughter-in-law and the inconveniences she had inflicted on her, quote, poor creature, were she to spit in my face, I would only pity her for being under such a fool's dis- direction and wipe it off, end quote. God, what a hateful woman. Despite this, the marriage of Augusta and Frederick appears to have been a happy one. Despite indulging in fleeting affairs, Frederick was a good husband and father. When he died at the age of just 44, Augusta was the mother of eight children, expecting shortly to be the mother of a nine. Doing a violet. <sighs> mm-hmm. And a Charlotte. These, these, these women, they buckled down and got to work. But I think giving birth after your husband's died is yeah. particularly traumatic. Yeah. Um, neither the king nor any members of the royal family attended Frederick's funeral, but were represented by the Duke of Somerset, and Frederick was largely unmourned by his father. Great. Upon receiving the king's condolences, Princess Augusta appealed to his better nature, informing him that she placed herself and her children entirely upon his mercy and protection, after which the relationship between George II and his widowed daughter-in-law slightly improved. She really didn't have any choice. Yeah. (laughs) After her husband's death, she was named as... as prospective regent for her eldest son, George, which caused a huge political controversy. She got blamed for absolutely all of his decisions. Well, of course. <laughs> Soon afterwards, she came under the influence of the third Earl of Butte, her son's tutor, and rumours circulated that they were indulging in an affair and both were pilloried in the press. I mean, they weren't, but doesn't matter for the rest of her life, everyone slut shamed Yeah. Her. Augusta and Butte were burnt in effigy on the streets of London on many occasions. The year after her son's succession to the throne, he married Charlotte Mecklenburg-Strelz. You may know her. Yeah. Augusta's relationship with her daughter-in-law seems to have been strained. She reportedly made it difficult for Charlotte to establish social social contacts by referring to court etiquette. (sighs) Augusta died of throat cancer at the age of just 52 at Carlton House. Her coffin was heckled on its passage to its final resting place at Westminster Abbey. Damn! An indignity George George never forgave the British public for. Damn! (laughs) She did not have a fun life. I feel really bad for her. You know, it's interesting when you were reading the description of um, Augusta, um, it made me think about uh, Michelle Fairley, uh, who played Augusta uh, in the show. How did you like that? I've got the cast list right next to me. So I'm like, (laughs) oh, yeah, I sound like like I'm really prepared. Don't give away our tricks, Michelle. (laughs) Um, but, uh, thinking about, um, fairly and just the way she held herself, um, she looked long limbed and gawky. Yes. 
But also, mm-hmm. she always looked like she's like bracing for an attack. Like yes. at any moment, something horrible <laughs> is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've known that backstory the whole time I was watching oh, the show, wow. and I always felt like I feel like Michelle did her research because there is this innate quality about her that is like mm-hmm. always on guard, which yes. I don't think you get from a completely secure woman who's had everything handed to her uh-huh. um and i th- yeah. found her performance wonderful and i like yep. that we got a little insight into what her life's been like and how much pain she's endured to secure george's legacy which yep. is a big important part of this week's episode yeah okay storylines hopefully oh. <laughs> this will be slightly more upbeat <laughs> hopefully um, the power struggle between Charlotte and Augusta, uh, was continued in this, uh, episode. Uh, what did you think about kind of how things shook out in the end? I mean, I loved this. I love their scenes yeah. together generally. Um, yeah. I feel like the undercurrent of the whole season has been this tension between the wife and the mother. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's even at play after. Agatha's gone in the 1819 scenes we saw where Charlotte's trying to balance the two roles and it's very clear that she's not been brilliant at it. <laughs> she's just been like, I'll just be his wife. And, yeah. um, yes. But I did really like the fact that despite the fact they were very argumentative and openly hostile this week, um, <laughs> I like the fact fact that charlotte actually listened to augusta and mm-hmm. took on what she was saying and took it seriously because she knows that augusta knows her shit um and she, yeah i like that augusta came around to appreciating how happy george is with her mm-hmm. there's a sort of they don't like each other but there's like mutual respect for the roles they both have in their lives um yeah i mean there's a there is an appreciation for the individuals who love George. I thought that uh the way that the way that they wrapped up the kind of tug and war tug of war between the two of them, I think is probably one of the only things I found satisfying. Yeah. Um in the episode as far as tying up the the loose ends that we got as part of the the narrative uh, going forward, I I found myself being content with okay, that's been put to bed. All yeah. right, yeah. And I, I think they've made it believable that Augusta would take a back seat because mm-hmm. they've established how much she loved George in previous episodes. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like suddenly she just conceded because we'd got a few episodes of her appreciating how happy george looked oh my god the scenes whenever whenever she sees george happy and her little Mm -hmm. she like smiles for the first time and yeah she's so stern all the time and it's very believable um Mm -hmm. to me that she would just want him to be happy above all else yes because especially given how tragic her backstory is Mm -hmm. and all she's been through yeah i think that's all she's been fighting for is like his security and his happiness Mm -hmm. 
Um, But I did find it kind of funny that Charlotte kind of has become an Augusta figure to her own children. Uh Um, And we can can talk about that later, but I think that reinforces my sense that Augusta was just trying her best for her children. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you can still fuck up even with good intentions. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Very true. Um, So Charlotte and George, what did you think about their scenes? I I love seeing the two actors playing off each other. Um, I think the the scene as they are entering the ball and how she is constantly redirecting his focus and attention on her so that he can make his way down to the the ballroom floor and they can dance. Um, and then when they dance, it's it's so very clear that they only have eyes for one another. I I thought, you know, the the sappy romantic in me just kind of fell all over the floor. Um <laughs> I really enjoyed seeing the two actors both sets of king and queen. Oh yeah. Um you know, as as brief as we got uh James Fleet uh in his scene uh at the end, you know, I I just love any time he is on screen um because he's just so wonderful. We are a James Fleet appreciation podcast. Yes. Because mm-hmm. I feel the same way. Yes. I th- I, I liked <laughs> the whole lying under the bed thing, but if I'm mm-hmm. honest, my initial thought was, oh my god, this is too similar to the Empress, which is <laughs> <laughs> lying on the floor. <sighs> God, there's been a lot of times where I've been like, this is kind of like the Empress, uh-huh. but this one really hit me. I was like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, talk about, you know, needing to feel grounded. Um, yeah. I guess that is the, the, the way to feel the most grounded would be to have your entire body lying on the ground. Um, I despaired a bit for her. The babies, um, the constant babies. Well, yeah, the 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 whole baby situation because y'all can comment on this um, since you know I haven't had kids and so I don't know what the whole recovery situation is um, firsthand. Um, but uh, I mean, I've had a friend who had babies close together and she ended up getting a hernia because her the whole <laughs> her stomach m- muscles didn't. No. Repair in time. No, no, no. Don't, it can be really bad no. for your personal yeah. being. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, uh, that was a big old no negatory, no, no, no. Um, but I, I love the, the chemistry between both sets of uh, king and queen. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the baby thing. <laughs> Annoys me more in a st- storytelling point of view because I feel like if they had concluded an episode with her having the baby and then mm-hmm. they announced a pregnancy in the next episode, mm-hmm. that would have made that would have been fine. But then <laughs> to have her give birth and then like twenty minutes later, oh, she's by the way, I'm she's pregnant. pregnant again. Yeah, she's pregnant again. I mean, yeah. who does that? I mean, you know, it, 
I, I know that, that we talk about, you know, the, the passage of time in a lot of the, the shows that we watch. And, you know, I have to say, you know, try, first of all, trying to keep up with all the bouncing back and forward stuff. That's one thing you have to do. But then you also need to try and figure out the passage of time within each one of those sections. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, enough for, for a baby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for us, it's like, okay, so she had the baby, you know, I'm guessing that she's not wait. you know, they're, they're not waiting, you know, a certain amount of time before they announce and celebrate the, the baby's birth, but maybe they do, uh, you know, on the off chance that the, the baby doesn't survive, right? you know, yeah, you know, maybe they, they hold off until a certain point and then it's like, okay, we've passed it. We can actually huzzah, um, and drink champagne. Uh, but we're not, we're not getting that. We're not getting that feel for I, the I don't passage feel like of time. it can have been too long because he was, they moved back to Buckingham house. Mm -hmm. She like, immediately gave birth and then George had to go to Parliament and then they had that conversation about hosting the ball underneath the bed. Why are we talking about the timeline? I mid conversation I I'm like, yeah, no, stop. no. But I yeah, feel like no, it was okay. maybe quite a short yeah. period of time given <laughs> what we saw. Yes. Um, she oh. must have how does she even know she's pregnant? Because your periods I... don't I don't know why we're uh -uh. getting into the yeah. anatomy, but your period don't like yeah. Start off regular like, yeah. post giving birth. Anyway. Yeah. But she probably is. She had fifteen kids. Yeah. Um Wow. Speaking of the stupid baby scene, I really actually enjoyed <laughs> despite how silly I thought it was, when George pulls out some of his farming hacks, he's like Well yes? I I had a horse who was preached. <laughs> <laughs> that genuinely made me giggle. That was so yeah. silly. Um, oh man. Okay. Well, well done. Well done, George. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that Charlotte appreciated it because she was screaming her head off, but you know, uh -huh. it was funny. Um, yeah. And I really did find the callback to them lying on the floor later in the episode really powerful. Yes, me too. I just feel like they really underplayed his how his mental health problems are going to impact their life. Charlotte just kept mm -hmm. going, well, we love each other. It's fine. Yes. And I Everything's was like, great. It's like, honey, I please. need you to have a more in-depth conversation about this than just. Yeah. There, there's a whole bunch to unpack in that little section, but, um, you know, and, you know, with the, with the increased awareness on mental health these days, you know, it, it did, this show did have the opportunity to get further into it. And I suppose I shouldn't complain since, you know, we had almost one entire episode of him being quote treated end quote, um, you know, for his, uh, mental illness. Um, but still. I just don't feel like we got a conversation where they were like, okay, here's how we're going to cope with this they were just like we will we'll, we'll, we'll cope with it okay but like how what's your yep. plan and then like also in the quote-unquote future that's actually the past um mm -hmm. he's living at q by himself 
Why? Mm-hmm. Why isn't she with him? She said she was going to live a life with him. She I, never I, I sees him. Uh, There's like I a lot of know. questions that have not been answered, yes. and I just don't, questions. I don't feel satisfied. And I also yes. would say I don't want them answered in the main Bridgerton show. I feel like they should be right. covered here. Yeah, I don't want you spending Let, time you know, worrying I, about this <laughs> when I'm trying yeah. to enjoy <laughs> Penelope and Colin getting down. Yeah, seriously, that's what we're waiting for, people. Um, okay, moving on. Lady Danbury. Love her. I love that they mm-hmm. they highlighted the growth she made over the course of the season yeah. by her refusal to take Augusta's deal. Um, but And that scene where she cried <laughs> was just sensational. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it was great to see that Agatha had earned so much respect so quickly. Um, yes. And I, I just love the way they framed those tees as like battles two women mm-hmm. on their respective sides <laughs> and there are rules and there fight are, there are <laughs> there are rules finish her yes. <laughs> you know they have agatha <laughs> is allowed to make slight jabs but she is not allowed to cry um that was hilarious that was so funny talk about the panic the sheer panic on Augusta's face, it was like, what? What? What is this? I did sort of relate as the, like I was just like as a Slytherin. I was like, you're not allowed to show emotion during these conversations. How dare you? Don't stop crying. Oh. Suck it up, Buttercup. I loved, but uh, um, Augusta sipping the brandy into their tea. <laughs> that was amazing. yes. Love her. Yeah, like tip that in there, girl. You know, we had Lady Danbury exploring two. Um, love interests, although one of them is clearly no longer available. <laughs> he was never available. <laughs> Just uh, I know, right? Yeah, I know. But I mean, it was, it was kind of cold when you think about it. It's like, all right. So he goes over there, gives her her birthday hat and, and a little something, something more. Um, and then it's like, all right. Bye forever. I done. I done tapped that. I'm moving on. <laughs> was like, damn, Lord Ledger, don't be a player. <laughs> I don't appreciate the way that he dragged his daughter out there to, so that uh-huh. he could avoid having just a normal conversation and a breakup where he just uh-huh. says, hey, this isn't going to work. Yeah. That's some bullshit. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But I guess we know where Violet learned how to avoid conversations. <laughs> Yes. He handled I was that. just about to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> like father, like daughter. Ugh, it's a bullshit and I don't like how yeah. he treated Lady Danbury. Um no, I mean, don't get me, me wrong, I think he was right to break it off and mm-hmm. to prioritize his daughter's reputation. But why wasn't he mm-hmm. thinking about that when he was going over there in the middle of the day with that birthday hat? Mm-hmm. It's like he loves Violet, but not enough to keep it in his pants. Um, yeah. And now he's, like, yeah. using her as a prop to avoid confrontation. Nice try, buddy. I'm not on Ugh. The, No. I think she is no. much better off without that whole mess. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, then 
stepping right into another mess <laughs> with a Adol- with Adolphus. I um, love him. How dare you? <laughs> he is. He's very handsome. Um, but you know, I I found that I found him to be pretty unsufferable. Um, particularly after he starts going on and on and on about you know how wonderful you know his provinces and you know all of the things he's going that hard you know sell, you know he's oh yeah limited he's, time he's just thro- <laughs> he's throwing everything at the wall uh to see if anything is going to stick and it's like dude if you'd spent any time getting to know Agatha Danbury you would know <laughs> that she's not going to be a breed cow and produce a whole bunch of children for you. Um, look, I look. I don't even want kids, and I'm willing to offer myself up to him. Like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'll be a duchess. Wow! The money, the security, the <laughs> fact that nobody's gonna take the stupid title away from me because they got bored of black people. Like, I think it's a, I think you're underestimating how good this deal was. I mean, Agatha oh. ha- hates the thought of being married and she was considering it. Um, yeah. It's a pretty good deal. Like, she's right. He would have respected her and treated her with kindness in a way that mm-hmm. most men of the period wouldn't have. Um, yeah. And she would have had to learn German, which is annoying. But, like, have you seen yeah. his house? It was lovely. <laughs> yeah. He has well, his own got, carriage. He's got kind of a... He's, <laughs> he's pretty styling. He, he's pretty styling. You know, if you have to get married, which you certainly don't, this is a good option. <laughs> and he, like, was gonna, like, look after her kids. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. This is a that good is... deal. I, like, as a sensible yeah. Slytherin, this is a good option. Okay? Uh, but I agree she shouldn't marry him. <laughs> absolutely. No. She shouldn't marry him. There really isn't anyone for her to marry. No. And I also have that, to say, like, I didn't really buy this relationship at this point because it happened, like, 30 minutes before the show was ending. They were just like, and now Adolphus is here. And you're like, okay, okay, this is happening. Um, I, All right. I th- I think this would have been more powerful if they had introduced him as a love interest for her earlier in the season, and then she actually has, yeah. like, a real decision to make. Mm-hmm. It would have felt like there was more of a weight of her actually, yeah, you know, choosing this for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It just yeah. felt like there was no... No tension, no actual dramatic tension as well, because you know she's single at the end. So I was like, well, okay. Mm-hmm. This just feels yeah. like we wasted some time, babes, but okay. Yep. Now, um we can we can just skip that um that whole storyline. It didn't I mean, I know they had to get to a point where she declares she wants to be single forever. Um, but mm-hmm. again, they could have got to that point in a way that made it more powerful than just like, of course yeah. you're making this choice. Because marrying Adolphus is ridiculous. You don't know him. He just, mm-hmm. <laughs> he started courting you two weeks ago. You've been on one walk. I'm not invested. Like, this doesn't feel, 
it doesn't feel like a legit conflict for her internally. Like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I felt like <sighs> Coral was more invested in this relationship than she was, so. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so Reynolds and Brimsley. Yes. Oh. <sighs> I loved them in this so much. So much. The moment when they were bickering over the decorations and whose yes. jurisdiction it was. Like, yes. <laughs> old married couple style. I loved that. Oh my God. The scene where they're dancing and. Then, then they're not dancing. Brimsley's, <laughs> then Brimsley's dancing and uh, just, just slay me. And I think, you know, I've never asked myself well where is the elder reynolds the entire time i've been saying i was watching this every episode it's not a happy (laughs) ending okay reynolds is not there yeah and then you can tell when charlotte finally asks if he he, if he has a family has a family that he has not been around for a while (laughs) yeah i mean at that moment, I was just like, really, Queen? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm slightly judgmental. Seriously? <laughs> How many years have you known this man and you're just now asking, do you have a family? So what do you think happened? He probably got some pleurisy thing or something <laughs> like that. And We're thinking tragic death. Dying. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking a tragic death. Or he got like yeah. a cut on his finger and got sepsis and died, yeah. Yeah, you know something, something, something terrible. Um, I love like when that, the olden uh, day people died of like ear infections, and you're just like, oh my god! <laughs> it's like, damn, seriously, an ear infection would do that? Jeez. People died of colds. Like, it is dangerous out there. God, we're so mm-hmm. lucky. Um, I I would have loved to have seen more of them, but you know, I know that they are not principal characters. Um, at all, but I really enjoyed not just how cute they were, (laughs) but I enjoyed the roles that they had Hmm. in protecting their respective monarch. I liked knowing there was a similar person looking out for George, but then it's like George doesn't have that anymore, so he's even more isolated Mm -mm. than before. Which mm-hmm. is sad. Which is really, really sad. Oh, God. Mm. I didn't want to think about that, but now that's depressing. And just, I think, yep. I know it's not about them, but I would have liked some nod to, or some kind of explanation as to why he's not there. I know we can guess. Yeah. But I don't like guessing. I like being told explicitly what happened. <laughs> I don't want yes. To yes. Um, okay, so let's talk about the Lady Danbury violent mm-hmm. conversation oh boy this was highly highly annoying to me because violet instead of just using her fucking words and asking agatha mm-hmm. straight out she does the most mm-hmm. passive aggressive bullshit thing of like getting yeah. all of the crowns out to show agatha. and putting them all around the room just to just to it, spike it. Oh, my father loved me more than he ever liked you. Just oh, mm-hmm. okay, great. That one. Ugh. That 
Maybe true. That, shut that up. kind of thing would work, you know, if you were 15. <laughs> okay? But you're not 15 anymore. You're 16. Yeah. Snap out of it. It's like she thinks she's in some kind of competition with Agatha. And it's mm-hmm. clearly not. And she's true grown to be acting like this this is the kind of shit you would expect from someone hyacinth's age this is not becoming Mm -hmm. of a woman Mm -hmm. of her age she should a know how to use her words uh, and b be mature enough to just handle the fact that her father may have might have had a relationship outside of the one he had with her like it it's Mm -hmm. just very immature is the only word i have for it i just yeah on every single level it's just childish yeah you know and it is there's really well i was going to say how would she know when this happened but she remembers her father making the the damn hat um anyhow and he said um, he was making it for a friend and she met lady danbury as her father's friend Mm -hmm. And she right. knows that she lost her husband around that time. You would just, why would you assume that they they banged? You wouldn't. Not if you're mm-hmm. Violet, who is extremely sheltered. It And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it creates this tension that now exists between the two. And there's really no clear reason for it to be there. It's weird. What, why does... Why can't we just have women being friends on this show? <laughs> yeah, seriously. We can't have nice things. I guess on some level I understand her not liking that her father had an affair, but mm-hmm. she's also mature enough to realise they just had a conversation about, you know, relationships outside of marriages and sometimes mm-hmm. stuff happens. So she's mm-hmm. mature enough to realise that for herself, but not for her father. Who right. is dead. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's not really relevant yeah. anymore. I was getting to a place where I was okay with Violet after the end of season two. Mm-hmm. And then now, like, they've introduced this, which makes me go, oh, my God, Violet, you're so pathetic. This is <laughs> such a weird thing <laughs> to do. Yeah. I mean, she's allowed to feel upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole smearing the room in, in paper hats was just like, Okay, uh, over the top much? Really? I mean, she did try and talk to Lady Danbury in that scene, and then, you know, Agatha made it clear, like, that's not happening. We're not talking about that. Mm-hmm. And instead of respecting yeah. that boundary or, you know, trying to talk to her again, she does just, again, reacts in the most passive-aggressive bullshit way. I can't, I can't with her. I also think it would be funny if, like, one of the kids finds out that they're, like, having an argument and it's based around (laughs) who Lord Ledger slept with. They're probably going to be like, who cares? (laughs) Imagine Anthony finds out about this and he's like, okay, well, I'll get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, I guess it ran in the family, you know? (laughs) Oh, Lord. Oh, God. Well, we shall see where this goes, if it goes anywhere. Hopefully Um, it never gets brought up again. Yeah. um, I will be very happy about it. And I, and 
I will make a commitment here. I will not complain about it not showing up (laughs) (laughs) in season three. I want to never think of it again. Yes. Nope. Um, It just didn't happen. Okay. So, um, older Charlotte and her relationship with her children. (laughs) God. The scene where they're doing the portrait was hysterical. Um, Talk about chaotic um and ridiculous um i thought the scene where um edward and his wife come to give her the news of of their expectant uh their their the incoming child um <laughs> that the heir that is uh, on her way um i thought that was just so lovely and when she hugged him <laughs> The expression on his face was like, what do I do? Who Who is this person? I know. What? Oh, okay. I I will hug you and I will smile. And yay. You know, because I get a do mommy hug. Do you think hug. she's like actually happy that, for them? Or do you think she's actually, she's happy because this pregnancy is just the combination of all her plans and it furthers George's bloodline? Because I would fall on the latter. Mm. I don't think she gives a shit about any of her children, to be honest. (laughs) I've seen no proof of that. Oh, man. There's nothing in the history that that talks about how she treated her children? Not well. Mm. She was incredibly cruel to her daughters, especially. That's why Mm. they felt like they were trapped. And they made crazy marriages to try and get out of it. Man. Don't, don't... (laughs) Don't learn lessons from Augusta. <laughs> I mean, I think she did. <laughs> and I I, fi- yeah. I find watching her relationship with her children play out in the in the future and then having watching young young Charlotte be so judgmental about Augusta like highly ironic. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Ooh, pot. Pot's calling." Um, but she has like a level of delusion that is not applicable to any other people. Because to be fair to Lady Danbury, she's not a very good mother. She's an absent mother, yeah. but she knows that. And she can recognize mm-hmm. that in herself. Charlotte, yeah. however, it was was delusional. Just wow. everyone around her knew she wasn't there for her kids. <laughs> Brimsley, who was like obsessed with her, knew that her kids were treated like crap. Um, mm-hmm. But she was like, I was an extraordinary mother. Which was... <laughs> like, um, who told you that? That's <laughs> <laughs> what she's been telling herself for years. She's like, okay, great. Based on what, though? Um, mm-hmm. It's the lack of self-awareness that bothers me more than, like, be a terrible mother. I don't care. Like, I don't feel like women have a duty of care to be fantastic mothers. But, like... Right. It's the fact that she's convinced herself she's great that bothers me most. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And even when confronted with the reality of how her children feel about their relationship with her, she's like, doesn't matter, I'm great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, which Queen Charlotte for the win! Woo! I also like feel like they, they brought up the storyline and then did absolutely nothing with it. They were like, yeah. she's a terrible mother! But it's okay, because Edward and Victoria are having a baby. It's like, okay, great. And she's really super happy about that. Yay! 
attempting attempting to tie a bow in that in that little uh ribbon to close off that that storyline and Rita and Michelle are here to take a blowtorch. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep to thinking that like, ribbon and go ah, what, ah, what about you know, you the rest of her kids? Like George <laughs> lost his daughter. Mm-hmm. All of the other daughters she had have had miscarriages. Like Edward yeah. and Victoria having a baby doesn't make up for the shit they've yeah. all gone through. Like <laughs> yeah. I love how the show is like, positive twist. There's a baby. Like, <laughs> just ignore all the pain and misery <laughs> and heartache of everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scratch. Record record needle uh, or needle across a record. Scratch. Uh wait just a second there. Um but yeah. Um, I think it's just because I love the actress that plays Charlotte so much that it made me happy. Yeah. Plus the, the guy who played her, her son was Funny. a hottie. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. not going to discount that it was a very cute scene, but for me, I yeah. was just like, okay, doesn't make a difference to me. <laughs> Cause like, it's I, a drop in the bucket of, of shit. I was very, that, uh... <laughs> very moved by the scene of her children confronting her, especially her daughter talking about her miscarriages. And to me, like that yeah. pain is not wiped out with one baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fave scenes. I think for me, you know, I, I think both of us will say the scene where um, uh, Reynolds and Brimsley are, are dancing because they look so sweet. And the scene when they're, when they're in the bathtub. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I reserve the right to excise the going to the solo shot of an older Brimsley dancing. I'm excising that from my memory and just living happy in the two of them dancing. Yes. Um. <laughs> I'm not thinking about that. Yes. Okay. Um, I think the final scene was by far the best thing oh, the series has God, yes. ever done, in my opinion. And that might mm-hmm. just be the James Fleet fan in me. Um, but he can make my entire body hurt with just like one line delivery. And yeah. I was so moved by their performances. I kind mm-hmm. of think they made a mistake by not including him more in this show because Oh, Absolutely. It's just such a powerful performance. You should be giving yeah. us more of that really depressing shit, like inject it into my veins. You know, as much back and forth time travel, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey bullshit that we went through, we needed some more scenes with older George. I think it would have been really powerful to see. Mm-hmm. And also, like, have a contrast between a younger George who relatively has his shit more together and then, mm-hmm. like, James Fleet running around in a nightgown, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know why, yeah. but when I think Regency crazy, I always think running around in a nightgown. This might have been <laughs> Poldark-induced. <laughs> Do you remember when George ran across from yes. his house? All the way to Ross's house yes. in a nightgown so he could peer through a window yes. and then run all the way back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was bad for it. That oh, was insane. Lord. Um, oh, Lord. Oh, my gosh. Okay, least favorite scene. Um, There wasn't anything that bothered me um, other than 
Agatha Violet because you know I don't like it when people talk around things. I'm just like, just say it. I kept screaming at the screen. Say it, Violet. Yes. Just say it. <laughs> <laughs> you fucked my dad. I'm not okay with that. I don't like it when people aren't straightforward. Mm-hmm. What about you? I can't think of anything that I would consider a least favorite in this kind of overarching, disappointing episode. <laughs> it, all of it is basically <laughs> You know, it, it's like there wasn't anything that moved me to anger, uh, which is usually where the least favorite scenes uh, come from. Either anger or disgust or something along those lines. And there just wasn't anything that had me, yeah, that had me, you know, like dropping the remote and going, no. (laughs) So, yeah, I can't think of any. Okay. Everyone's favorite time. (laughs) Time for the wiggy talk. I think this week's Queen Charlotte wig with the flowers in the back mm-hmm. was maybe the most incredible wig I've ever seen. Um, it was a monstrosity. <laughs> its height and its width. I mean, it, there was an alcove in her hair. <laughs> I loved it, but I fear for her neck, you know? Uh, yeah. Just insane. I don't know how it's, they come up with these funny. ideas. It's funny. I don't either. I'm looking at some of these wigs that they have had on this show. And, you know, I think some of them are from uh, season uh, seasons one and two of uh, Bridgerton. But, you know, there's the one where... You know, it says that, you know, Golda had to wear a neck brace yeah. in order to, to support it. Um, the, the wigs are just simply extraordinary. <laughs> I kind of miss, like, in season two, she did a lot of, like, colorful wigs. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know if maybe the wigs are just great because they want to emphasize her age at the moment but <laughs> i would like some <sighs> more color in season three please i keep thinking about that yes. blue wig we got in season two. Oh, oh okay now i'm just looking at pictures of wigs oh god yeah me too me too and loving every single one of them they're all fantastic loving the wigs actually no wigs a are picture wonderful. of simone ashley as kate just came up and that wig hairline is horrendous Oh God, I, I I suffered trauma from that. Why did they do that to her? She doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. Mm-mm. That was that was a crime. <laughs> that was a crime. Oh, favorite costume. Um, Lady Danbury's purple dress when she's on the promenade with Adolphus, and she has like a matching shirt. Yes. Um, yes. A, she looks amazing oh. in purple, and I like to think. This was an attempt at putting her in some half mourning colours, even though, for all intents and purposes, the timeline makes no sense, and I don't think they know what mourning is on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to pretend. <laughs> what about you? 
I would have to agree with, with, um, that one. Um, I think that uh, the, 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 I, I want a hat like hers. Mm. <laughs> Thinking of the older, the older Lady Danbury with that yeah. little top hat that she wears kind of cocked to the side because that is such a signature look. That and the cane. She's hats and canes. And the cane. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I have had to, um, start using, uh, uh, walking stick at, at times, um, because of, uh, vertigo and <laughs> you best believe I was looking all over the place <laughs> to try and find something <laughs> like the one that she has. But, uh, yeah. You can hit people with it like she does. Uh-huh. Oh my God. Um. I think that, um, you know, you're spot on with the, the dress that she wore, um, out and about, um, with, uh, Adolphus. And I, and anytime she shows up with a little tricorn. Yeah. You know, I'm, I am her slave. We love a hat moment. <laughs> There's not enough hat yes. moments. Yeah. Yes. We need more hats. Um, Favorite needle drop moment or the needle drop moment of the, the show? Um, I mean, there were two songs this episode. Mm-hmm. I found the, I found the, I will always love you to be the one that, that was the most touching, but again, didn't know the other one. So <laughs> I object to, I will always love you because that's a Dolly Parton song. And this was, pitched to us as all black artists and i know whitney houston covered it but that does not count <laughs> okay i was wondering where you were going with this and i was like rita where where are you taking us on this this trip here i'm taking I mean, you dolly to the parton. fact that dolly parton wrote the song mm-hmm. performed oh, yeah, the song absolutely. in a way that was way better and more emotional and so mm-hmm. i've got to say i preferred the other song, Nobody Gets Me, is actually one one of my favorite songs from that so that album. Okay. Um and I think I promise I, I promise I will listen to it. I mean the lyrics are insane. It's not it's not a song that's really that <coughs> romantic to me. But I think the instrumental of it sounds really good with strings. Um and mm-hmm. it sounded very um sweeping and romantic and then you yes. like if you listen to the lyrics it's like this is a toxic fucking relationship get out <laughs> <laughs> um and then well i'm there i'm sure that there are people that would argue that charlotte and george were in a toxic relationship but i don't really say that's it. a whole I don't really different it. i mean that's a whole different i mean you could argue that all of the relationships on bridgerton are toxic if you want to see it that way mm-hmm. honestly yeah. i think charlotte and george's relationship has been probably the most healthy um despite the huge amount of lying <laughs> <laughs> you know pay no attention um, to the untruths he, it's fine he was doing it to protect her okay <laughs> right uh performer of the episode oh god um oh. every week it's like we're putting a gun to your head and it's Sophie's it's choice. It's so hard. Pick a child. It's so hard. Uh Charlotte, the older Charlotte. Oh Golda. Golda. Oh my god, she did make me like weep. Yeah. Um literally I did actually cry while watching the last scene, but I was like mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um 
and actually that might have been just James Fleet mm-hmm. saying James Fleet saying that line about funny seeing you here. Mm-hmm. Um because it was so was funny so I did burst into tears. <laughs> I was like, that was so oh, sweet. Lovely. Um, and then and then, you know, you didn't go over the wall. Oh. <laughs> and then I don't. didn't go over the wall. <laughs> That was just wonderful. I think for me, I'm going to pick Michelle Farley. Um, Ooh, for the uh-huh. moment, she watches them dance. Like, she's not saying anything, but you know yeah. exactly what she's thinking. Yeah. And that moment where she talks about um, the bruises, so much said, with very yeah. little dialogue. And I think she's been given an incredible performance the whole season. Yes. Um, and she has so many different facets to perform of this person mm-hmm. you know there's the racist side there's the funny lines about i'm a woman i don't have to remember names um there's <laughs> being cruel you know she does all these different things and she's yeah. the most complicated yeah um she is sh- yeah she is the one walking on a tightrope um through that whole thing and i think i think that's probably harder to perform than just your straightforward Mm-hmm. Perfectly lovely Lady Danbury Charlotte role. It's hard to be the one that's racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> how many crowns out of five? Oh, I'm going to give it three. Average. Meh. Meh. I think if this was an episode that led on to another episode mm-hmm. where they concluded it properly, mm-hmm. I would be rating it high up. Yeah, yeah. But as a final episode, you expect more resolution. Mm-hmm. So I'm also giving it a three. Yep. I didn't think that you would have such a low rating. So I'm happy. <laughs> really? <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna, yeah, I always feel like I'm the one that's always dogging on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I come in every week and I complain and everyone is always like, Rachel, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Yeah, I I like what you said about, you know, if this were uh, the penultimate episode and we still had one more, we'd be we would be in a a different space all entire, you know, in its entirety. But for a finale, um, three. And I'm I'm being generous. Generous. (laughs) Yes. I was already tempted with two and a half for just middle of the road. But no. Um, some of the scenes were really amazing, and I feel like mm-hmm. that's worth bumping up the the episode. Okay. Inbox time! Very long episode, so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hang in there, guys. We made it to the finish line. Yes. Almost, there's still a book. This was a pretty good series ending, but the tone was a bit sad and bittersweet. I think I would have enjoyed something a bit more hopeful. It felt to me like this episode was focusing on how every happy moment was fleeting and temporary and it was all about lost love. In the end, it left me feeling kind of depressed for the characters and overshadowed the good moments with melancholy. This does, however, make the needle drop moment of Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You pretty damn good. Yes, I said Dolly Parton and not Winnie. Oh, girl, you get my respect. Um, Mm -hmm. I grew up listening to Dolly singing the song and it 
always gave me such a pang in my chest whenever I heard it, long before Whitney recorded her version. To me, the gentler, quieter, sweetly sad version of the song that Dolly sang in the 70s fits with the episode perfectly. Agreed. Co-signed. Um, <laughs> comments from last week's podcast. Rita, it wasn't just you. I thought Brimsley's floating hand was silly. It made me roll my eyes. Also, funny how Agatha says her life wasn't her own since she was three, and yet she's put the same burden on her son now. From the age of four, he's got a role to play, set for him by his mother without any choice of his own. I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, generational trauma yeah it's a sick (laughs) yeah anyway (laughs) Augusta is the baddest of the badasses man do I love her that was a great scene when Augusta says Agatha is a worthy adversary and that this weeping nonsense will not do (laughs) then I loved her telling Charlotte at the end thank you for making George happy that bitch is awesome. What more yes. can I say? Yes. I mean, the racism, yes, she's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The caveat of the racism. <laughs> yeah, well, just put a little asterisk there. I like Minus the racism. I mean, they're all racist. Like, that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know that I can like any of you. Um, <laughs> uh, plus, she wins best line of the episode. Quote, I don't remember names. I am female. End quote. Wow. <laughs> Violet and I like the response of the minister just being like, apologies, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Violet and Agatha. They had some nice moments. Why on earth did Agatha leave that paper hat out on the mantle, though? Made no sense. She didn't, though. It was behind loads of shit. Like, Violet, what Violet are you dug doing around creeping? For it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Boundaries, Violet. <laughs> George and Charlotte. I thought Corey's performance was his best of the season and Charlotte has taken the first steps towards her future self at the end, both in her attitude and in the wig department with that headpiece at the ball. (coughs) Brimsley and Reynolds. Finally, we get some really great relationship moments between them, but where the hell is old Reynolds? (laughs) (laughs) He's mouldering away in some grave someplace. They pulled a Sanditon on us and left us unresolved. I'm annoyed. I so wanted old Reynolds to break in on that dance Brimsley was having at the end. Oh, don't put that in my head. I choose to believe that he and Brimsley did have their lifetime together, serving the king and queen, and had many happy moments. That tub scene was sweet. Plus, them bickering like a married couple while setting up for the ball was seriously funny. I'm walking away now. (laughs) Yes. Brinsley's comment to the Queen about him never being free to marry and how everyone serves the King was a gut punch and very sad. Also very sad that she's never asked him once in all these years. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would have liked it better had the King and Queen known about him and Reynolds and been on their side. I think Brimsley and the Queen would have had shared understanding and shared grief in more ways than one. Mm. In a way nobody else would ever truly get. Final thoughts on this series. I totally agree with one of your inbox participants that said they didn't understand why we needed this series. (laughs) That may have been me as well, by the way. (laughs) It was okay, but nothing earth-shattering. It felt like a 
a pothole on the Bridgerton <laughs> Road. Where Dirk. Something that wasn't planned and just kind of showed up because of high traffic. So now it's there and you have to deal with it. Somebody fill it. Fill it. I think I also agree that it would have been much better as a binge watch where you didn't have time to really think about all the things that didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. My hopes for what comes out of this series. We need to see an old Reynolds and old Brunzi moment somewhere in season three. Oh, girl, you're not getting that. Uh -uh. (laughs) He's dead. Uh, Violet needs a romance storyline because that would be so much fun. And I'm done with Agatha's backstory. No more of that, please. Oh, <laughs> no, dear. we need her children. Yeah, Where we are do. her children? Mm-hmm. Show me the kids. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again for all your work on this podcast. And I look forward to whatever comes next. And this is from Tara. Thank, Thank you, Tara. Tara. We may need to set up a support group for yeah. <laughs> Brimsley and Reynolds fans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We are here for you. We're grieving. Hi, girls. Morgana here. Listening to you during this season, I came to the conclusion that the series works best for those who binge, and not because we don't pay attention to the details, but because the way it was edited was more about the feelings they put you through. They built a sensation of expectation, tension, pain, the doubts it raises in one episode are responded to in the next, building a feeling of anxiety not because of the lack of response, but because of the sadness of the story they tell us, you grow to understand that the happy ending is not coming. But um, it didn't come in the beginning either. I don't know. I just know that when episode five arrived, I cried. I don't even remember which scene. In episode six, it gets worse. Charlotte and George's dance mirrored Anthony's last dance with Kate. With a difference, uh, the outcome was not hopeful. So when Charlotte finds George under the bed and he apologizes for not telling the truth when they first met, she tells him that he's always just George. I couldn't take it. I literally cried for the next half hour, sobbing. This coming from a girl who had two years of therapy to be able to cry a tear. And when they replay the scene with the older version and he says, you did not go over the wall, I died. Girl, right there with you. Um... I don't know. The entire emotional complexity of every character in this series just blew me away. I loved them all, even Princess Augusta. I loved her so much. Her scene with Agatha makes me cry again. I thought this season it was pretty good, despite all the holes in the script. But don't get me wrong, Bridgerton season two is still my favorite. Firstly, because I love slow burning, the slower the better. The runaway bride was my highlight. But mostly because I ended the season happy and hopeful for Anthony and Kate's future. All the drama, was behind them. Their future, the future was happiness. But when Queen Charlotte ended, I was devastated and sad for days, trying to create a fanfic where everyone has a happy ending. Oh, dear. (laughs) 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 Good luck. (laughs) Um, But let's speed it up because this is already big. I have a theory for the plot hole. I don't think the series is set in 1818 as they don't mention a date and make it clear that this is the winter after Bridgerton's last season, 1814-15. So it's not possible for anyone to have given um, Violet another grandson. I propose that that she (laughs) knocks on a neighbor's door and asks to borrow a child to play with her grandson. (sighs) Um, You know, uh, I know you guys are going to argue their age difference. I noticed that too, and I don't have an answer for that. (laughs) 
also the Queen series Tom, Tom. and the, <laughs> the, the, the Can we all accept that? <laughs> yes. Um, the Queen series ended shooting two months after the third started, April uh, 2022. Uh, so they already knew how the second season ended when they went into post-production. Goldie even recorded both series at the same time and made it clear in some interviews that the session or the seasons talk to each other, uh, third and queen. Moving away, Adjua told in the episode of the official podcast that the name Agatha was inspired by a real woman. Since Lady Danbury didn't have a first name, she tells the story of this Agatha and her influence in the United Kingdom. It is worth checking. Um, no, Agatha comes from the books. There, <laughs> no, Agatha is her name in the books because at one, okay, spoilers for the book, but Penelope gives birth to a child and names it after Lady Danbury and she calls it Agatha. Sorry, I love you, Adjua, but that's bullshit. That's bullshit. <laughs> it's in the book. <laughs> ah, okay, um, Morgana goes on. In that same episode, she explains Lady Danbury's final scene with Violet. The silent one. This this scene pisses pissed me off. I hate it when they exchange glances to mul- answer multiple questions. Stupid things. They should have used words. Use your words. Yes. But on the podcast, Adjua told uh, me what I should have understood. She explains that the creation of the romance between Agatha and Papa Ledger came because they wanted to explain why Lady Danbury is always favoring Violet's family. Yeah, God forbid she just likes someone. No, we have to have her fuck the dad. Oh, God. Oh, dear. Um, Because if you remember the first episode of the first season of Bridgerton, it's Lady Danbury who calls Violet and Daphne to her box at the opera and suggests that Violet invite Simon to dinner for for see if he and Daphne have, uh, have a met. According to her, Papa Ledger is the great love of Lady Danbury's life, the impossible right. love. And that's why she continues sticking her nose in that family. But I super think Lady Danbury had other, several other romances during her lifetime. And hopefully some will show up in the regular series. On the podcast, they also explain George's placement in The Great Experiment, which you both questioned so much in the first part of the season. Isn't it great that they're answering these questions on a podcast? <laughs> Why can't we see it in the show? I know. I advance that this is another behind-the-camera answer. They didn't give us a scene. We have to stick with their speech after to understand. Exactly, Morgana. That's bullshit. (laughs) Basically, they explain that in episode three, Charlotte discovers that she is pregnant, scene of her in the mirror, after Agatha tells her to check her privilege. After sex time with George, she says that she sees him as a person and not an institution. After that, the two would have discussed on how to make the society more equal. She informs him oh, about right. the Danbury ball. <laughs> um, and the two decide together to go to make a statement. That's why he arrives at the ball and doesn't take charge, but humbly says, Lord and Lady Danbury, thank you for having me. And after that, he bows to Charlotte at the end of the first dance as a sign that he is serving her and the subjects. I thought it was cute, but I preferred that I didn't need the podcast to understand yep. so many central themes of the series. Yep. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> but I did love the crown of stars Charlotte wears to the last ball. 
Oh, yeah. It's as if it reminds George that she is his star, or just because he likes stars. I found it cute and sweet. Absolutely. It should have been a planet. Kind of they could have put a little Venus there. It would have been really yeah, cute. Yeah, really sweet. Um, as well, the realization that the clothes and wigs she wears in Bridgerton are her way of remaining recognizable to George, so he always knows who she is. Oh. This, <laughs> this episode had so many wonderful scenes like, do you like being the Archbishop of Canterbury? I kept saying, move! <laughs> For all the inanimate things in my house for days. As well, I do not remember names. I am female. Anyway, last unnecessary historical discussion. In the first podcast of the season, Rita said that the Hanover dynasty dies with Victoria because after that comes the current Windsor dynasty. Then Charlotte's efforts would not have been successful. I was confused as I knew that Victoria's son Charlotte's great-grandson took over after her. So I went looking, and technically today's royal family is from the same bloodline as Charlotte's. They only changed the dynasty's last name in 1917, after World War I, because of the anti-German atmosphere. Basically, they want to forget that the Hanovers and Albert, Victoria's husband, were Protestant Germans before they became the royal family of England. A good political move, as it avoided any royal family association with Hitler 15 years later, with the exception of, you know. The. Yeah, the Duke of Windsor and his wife. That was definitely a Nazi. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So technically, George and Charlotte's lineage survived, even though they took on a new identity. Anyway, is this really important? Probably not for today. It's just. Uh, it girls have a lovely week. See you next time, Morgana. Thank you, Thanks, Morgana. Morgana. Like if they'd had a son, they mm-hmm. would still be the House of Hamsburg. Yeah, Hanover, House of Hanover. I got confused between <laughs> too many fucking German provinces, man. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Oof. Hi, Rita and Michelle. Another series has been covered by a wonderful podcast, and I want to thank you for all the work you put into each episode. Bravo, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I enjoyed Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story, but not as much as season two of Bridgerton, but I'm not sure why. The main storyline of Charlotte and George was very well done, especially the last episode under the bed scene. It was a brilliant way to end the series and probably the happiest way to end it. It certainly was an emotional way to end it without being too maudlin. The actors playing Charlotte and George, young and older, were perfect and all had great chemistry together. I love Lady Danbury and was glad to see some of her backstory. After episode five, I thought, oh, You should have hooked up Agatha and Adolphus. And ta-da, they did. But it wasn't as satisfying as I thought it would be. It almost felt like we have these two hot young actors and we need to get them together before the series is over. I somehow wish they could have eliminated Lord Ledger's and had Adolphus be her affair. I know she can't marry Adolphus, so they would have had to put some complication in, but they would have been better than the Lord Ledger storyline. More on that later. I would have liked to see her interact with more of the newly titled Ton. That's a mm-hmm. good point. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is my thoughts. This is Rita. It's very weird that they had a show that was about the creation of this class of black aristocrats. And we saw 
like two or three. Charlotte, <laughs> Lady yeah. Danbury, her husband. That's it. Yeah. That's a missed mm. opportunity. Okay. Mm-hmm. The email continued. The Reynolds Brimsley, Rensley, Brimolds. Did we ever get a ship name for them? <laughs> Was <Brimolds>. very enjoyable. <laughs> very enjoyable to watch too. I guess we don't get to find out what happened to Reynolds, but I'd like to believe he's still tending to the king and they still get together from time to time. Oh, God. Everyone just really wants to believe that, and I, I cannot mm-hmm. find it in my heart, too, because I'm a realist. <laughs> the, the 19th century storyline of Charlotte and her kids was kind of interesting, and I think I would like to see more of the kids in the regular Bridgerton series. I especially enjoyed the scene where Charlotte talks to her son about love and marriage. Isn't it funny how the Prince Regent is never mentioned in the regular Bridgerton series? Funny ha-ha or funny what the fuck? Uh, because <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> Queen Charlotte was never mentioned in Sanditon. I guess she could have been dead for most of Sanditon, so... Yeah, she's been dead for a while in Sanditon, so we can excuse yeah. those writers. But it seems yeah. like we would have heard more something about the Prince Regent from Lady Whistledown. Yeah. Considering he's, like, the main figure at court, it is fucking bizarre. Yeah. The Violet and Lord Ledger storyline. Ugh. My biggest problem is the timeline. It just doesn't work to have a young Violet in this series. According to the book canon, if there is such a thing, and of course the TV series is not following book canon, or its own canon, or any kind of canon. (laughs) She was born in 1766, so not even a twinkle in her father's eye in 1761. Other than the poignant moment when Lady Danbury explains to Violet why she is fortunate, I could have done without all of the rest of Violet's scenes. Nothing against Ruth Gamel. I enjoy her character in Bridgerton, but it seems like they just wanted to include her in this series and it just opened up a can of worms, in my opinion. I also want to put my two cents in about the good mother discussion from the podcast. First of all, as a mother, it gets my back up a bit when people bash TV mothers. I want to defend Violet Bridgerton a bit, although I didn't like her storyline in the series. It does give some insight to her personality. She had a strong father figure and married someone like her father, so she's had men she can rely on and did rely on until Edmund dies, which really pulled the rug out from under her. Did she lean too heavily on Anthony while Edmund died? Yes, but so did all the servants of society as a whole. She did eventually pull herself up and make family decisions on her own. Ten years later, uh, Violet also gets bashed about not telling Daphne about how babies are made. I'm sure Violet's mother didn't tell her. I was raised in the 60s and 70s and my mother didn't tell me either. Does that make her a bad mother? I don't think so. I'm not saying my mother was right in not telling me, but I'm sure her mother didn't tell her either. It was just kind of the norm for many people. No talking about sex. I just like to say, just because something's normalised doesn't mean that it's right. Rape was normalised. Preach it. Arm your daughters with knowledge. Under Charlotte, was she a good mother? The series asks us this question and the answer seems to be no. But again, we're labelling good slash bad based on what standard. I've been told as a parent that the family focus should not be on the children, but the family as a whole, which includes the husband and wife relationship. Certainly, Charlotte had a lot on her plate and focused on the king, which the series points out. And also on trying to track down Lady Whistledown. (laughs) (laughs) 
and yeah. plotting who Anthony is going to marry and worrying about whether her nephew like remember when she was obsessed with getting mm-hmm. her nephew married she like yep anyway but does that make her a bad mother she's certainly not a warm fuzzy kind of mother but she was a strong and protective one lady danbury is not a warm fuzzy kind of mother either but i don't think she's was mostly thinking of her children's future when she turned down adolphus marrying him would have been easy for her and her children but they would have more potential future power if they have titles in England and Agatha knows she needs to stay and fight for that. Okay, enough ranting. Thanks for letting me vent. I do enjoy listening to you and your other listeners' perspectives. I hope you have many more TV series to discuss. Your loyal listener, Carol from Connecticut. Thank you, Carol. Thanks, Carol. That has got me thinking, like, do you think Bridgerton has a bit of a problem with mothers? Because when you think about it, you got Violet, who gets yelled at in season one and season two uh-huh. by both her kids. There's Portia being oh. terrible at every turn. There was, oh, Cassandra's, remember Cassandra's mother calling her an uggo before, behind her back? Being, uh-huh. My daughter's not as good as, as Daphne, you know, and Agatha's neglecting her kids, uh, Charlotte's yeah. mocking her kids for their infertility. I mean, the vast majority of the show's depiction of mothers has been negative. Yeah. And then when you think about like the angelic nature of some of the fathers, it's like, <laughs> is this show technically misogynistic? <laughs> It's got like a very like the mothers are responsible for everything agenda. <laughs> oh god, that sounds like a dissertation. We like to bring up things and then just go think about it and leave us out of it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Hello Michelle and Rita. I can't believe this is the final episode. It wasn't perfect, but I did enjoy it. Charlotte and George are so cute together. The actors have great chemistry. The scene where Violet confronts Lady Danbury about her father's birthday hats fell flat. Violet should have just asked Lady Danbury why she had one of her father's hats, but she didn't. It was anticlimactic. What happened to Reynolds? <laughs> it's a theme. Uh, it was sad seeing older Brimsley dancing alone, but why didn't the show address Reynolds' absence? Did he die or quit being George's servant? I need answers. The ending just made me cry. It was sad seeing older Charlotte and George talking under the bed. It was very, it was a very sweet scene. What are y'all planning to do for your next podcast? I know Michelle likes K dramas. Have you seen Pachinko? No. Um, I saw it and loved it, but kind of depressing. Uh, looking forward to what y'all do next. I will finish your Empress podcast. Take care, Delia from Austin. Thanks, Delia. Thanks, Delia, and. Michelle, I have some breaking news for you. Yes. <laughs> Delia has uh, requested and paid uh, for us to make an episode about Pachinko. So <laughs> we're going to be watching it. Pachinko! And it looks really good. And there is a book that I will be reading. So Okay, I'm looking it up right now. It looks really good. Ooh, it's got Lee Min Ho in it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think we'll really like it. Okay, cool. Oh, it's on Apple. It's on Apple TV. I know. Ugh. <laughs> I swore I wouldn't. 
but I'm going to have to get the subscription. Dun, 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 dun. It's got such an amazing cost. Wow. Definitely put that on the list. Next email. Mm-hmm. Everybody is using so much code in this episode. You need to be part of the Bletchley Circle. Bletchley Circle? <laughs> to decode it. Having said that, I believe most of the code is projecting the future of the characters. Uh, Reynolds and Brimsley, whilst in the bath discussing the king and queen's Finally being together and reuniting as one to battle the king's illness, Brimsley asks Reynolds if a life together is possible for the royal couple. But obviously he's intimating for the two of them. Reynolds seems unsure but willing to try. I know there's lots of conjecture about Reynolds' whereabouts when we see Brimsley dancing alone at the end of the episode, but I believe that Reynolds is still with us, but life's circumstances have conspired against them in the end. Finally, hmm. somebody says something realistic. Everyone just thinks he's fine. And it's like, yes. no, there was a sad tone, everyone. Yes. <laughs> as Brimsley tells the older Queen Charlotte much later in the episode that he never married, as he could not find someone to spend a life with him, because everyone at the palace cares for the king, i.e. it is all-consuming. So sadly, royal duties and Reynolds' absolute commitment to the king would have loomed so large that their relationship could not continue as they wished. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Though I like my he got an ear infection idea. <laughs> Just for the lines. I think it would be I think it would be incredibly difficult for Reynolds and Brims, uh, Brimsley to see one another and not be together. Um, because, you know, they would wind up running into one another. If he was still there in his role mm -hmm. to some capacity, I feel like they, w the tone of the scene he had with Queen Charlotte would have been slightly different. Yeah. He just kept, he felt like he w had been single for a very long time, yeah. you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay, Augusta. Okay. The Queen of Code. <laughs> this woman is rather awesome. You do not need to like her, but my goodness, you have to admire her. She takes <laughs> battling with coded messages to new heights with everyone. Augusta with George, after the birth of her grandson, she says, Is he right? Are there signs? To which George <laughs> responds, As future king, he is nothing but perfection, is he not? Yes, indeed, perfection as little Georgie was to her. Augusta with Agatha, her best sparring partner to date. She gives a little pep talk when Agatha starts to crumble as their negotiations start to falter. Firstly, after pulling out pear brandy from a rather clever little dress pocket. I love a dress with pockets. Yes. Pre-jet. She tells Agatha she doesn't like her, but is impressed by her. She should not lose control of her fate and should fight and endure to reach the goal she wants, with insight into her own struggles with her late father-in-law. And as Eleanor Roosevelt once said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Agatha rises from the ashes and pushes on and starts taking steps towards becoming the great woman we see in the future. The ton better brace themselves. Mm-hmm. I want to know where she got all the money for all these balls from. That's also Seriously. another question. Because, you know, all the money was gone. <laughs> what the hell happened? There's so many questions. I know. Anyway, Augusta with Charlotte. Her protege. Well, this is her most significant challenge because, after all, she will be handling George. 
her precious son, over to her to protect and keep safe and, as we are repeatedly told, continue his bloodline. And it would seem that Charlotte has made the the grade when the final ball Augusta realises and gives Charlotte the biggest compliment of all and addresses her as your majesty and bows out. Charlotte's made it. Charlotte is keeping her word when she said, I will fight with you and for you, George, way back at the beginning of the relationship and now Mm -hmm. is coming to the dramatic peak when she forces George in a beautiful scene to face her and admit his true feelings for her so they can forge forward with their future together. Huzzah! Huzzah! Fast forward to older Queen Charlotte and she has indeed done all she had promised George. Their love and their bloodline will endure through Prince Edward. However, we can also come to understand it probably cost her more than she realised. The protection of George behind the high walls of the palace succeeded to some degree, but in the process, Charlotte sacrificed her relationship with her children, the very thing that succession is about. She was so busy being the ruling monarch and protecting the king and their subjects, she neglected nurturing the love of her family. We know her children held her in some regard as they never really married properly or moved away because they could see how consumed by the goal of her protecting her father, their father and being the best queen she could be for her subjects. But alas, mothering was put on the back burner. I think she does realise this after Brimsley and her children confront her with the truth of the situation and she realises that the crown is indeed breaking her neck, but she did not go over the wall. Overall, I enjoyed this series and enjoyed getting to know the backstory for our strong, fiery women on Bridgerton. Flaws and all. Until next time, this is from Maria in Australia. Hi, Maria. Thank you. Let's see. Hi, Rita and Michelle. I found your podcast after listening after I finished season two of Bridgerton. I love your recaps. I've listened to the season one and two and spinoff shows. I don't have a lot to add, but I want but want to say before the lapse between this last episode and season three that I absolutely agree with Rita that book Colin is less than show Colin or greater than no, show Colin. Greater than show Colin. Greater than show. Yeah. Yes. Greater. Yes. <sighs> Math. Uh, <laughs> book, <laughs> book Colin is witty and attentive. We are humanities show- people. Okay. <laughs> show Colin is highly annoying. I hope that they do right by this guy in season three. All the best, Mella in the USA, South Carolina, to be exact. Oh, thanks, thanks, Mella. For coming on board, Mella. And also, <laughs> we can only pray and hope that the writing improves for Colin. There's tiny little snippets of him being really funny in season one. Like, remember when Violet gets completely wasted on champagne and yes. Colin's left babysitting her? Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. That was funny. Yeah. When he's not moping, Colin is great. Yeah. But, you know, he's mostly mopey. Yeah. Okay. okay, well, book club, folks. Uh, we are going to read and discuss the book Queen Charlotte by Shonda Rhimes and Julia Quinn. And we will need a whole lot of your emails to make things spicy because word on the street is that it's just word for word the script from the show. <sighs> oh, sweet, merciful heavens. Um <laughs> So no, we're trying to sell this to people, Michelle. Get excited! I'm so excited. Ooh, but lose control. I think I like it. Um, So, if you want to tell us what you thought of this book, 
then please email in the books network at gmail.com and we will read you out on the show. Okay, well, that's all from us this week. Our book club podcast will probably be out in two weeks because we need a week to read the book. <laughs> you will get through it, Michelle. I believe in you. Um, <laughs> please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank yes. you all for listening and for your support this season. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.